This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the New Books Network. Okay, uh, welcome to the New Books Network uh, in French Studies. Uh, today I'll be having a conversation with Robert Payne. He's a senior learning development tutor at the University of Bedfordshire in the UK. Before coming to Bedfordshire, he studied for a PhD in French Studies at the University of Leicester, where he also taught French Language and Cultural Studies from 2013 to 2017. He then spent two years as a lecture de long at the University of Mulhouse in, in France before returning to the UK to take up a post as a lecturer in French at the University of Hertfordshire. He currently works in learning development, supporting students at all levels to develop their academic skills and coordinating a student as partners scheme. Um, he's also the author of uh, the book we will be talking about, Reimagining the Family, Lesbian Mothering, Contemporary French Literature, which was published by Peter Lang in 2021. Um, so welcome, Robert. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. Thank you for the uh, very flattering introduction. It, it, it's almost as if it's not me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah no, <laughs> Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I'm very grateful that uh, you're joining us today to um, talk about your book um, and, you know, just some conversations um, around the content of your book. Uh, but first, I wanted to ask you um, where the idea for this book project uh, comes from, you know, like Reimagining the Family, uh, Lesbian Mothering, Contemporary French Literature. Um, so um, where does your book fit maybe in the in some conversations happening in the discipline, maybe? Hmm. Um, I mean... Um... The, the, the book really, the idea for the book stemmed from um, from my own personal interest, really. Um, and the, there's a story to it, um, in a way, um, as, as I'm sure there is for most people who, who embark on a PhD. And so when I was an undergraduate, I, I studied a couple of um, modules on gender, um, specifically in the, the French, contract, French context, because my, my undergraduate degree was French and Italian. Um, so that kind of so those modules gave me a, a kind of grounding um, in ideas about gender, 
um, feminist theory, that sort of thing. Um, and then when I went on to sort of postgraduate study, um, developed a an interest in LGBT literature, um, primarily from from the fairly uh, self evident um, autobiographical reasons, really. Um, and and I decided within that to focus on lesbian writing rather than gay writing. Um, and I was influenced to a large extent by people I was working with at the time who 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 believed that there was typically more criticism about gay male literature than about lesbian literature. So I sort of went for the lesbian literature mostly for the sake of originality, really. Um, and then at the time when I started my PhD, which was in 2013, um, same-sex parenting was a very topical issue um, in France um, because France had recently passed its same-sex marriage law. Um, and a lot of the debates about same-sex marriage in France are really about same-sex parenting. Um, and so there were a kind of as I said, there's a story um, to it, and that's kind of where the the, the idea for the book came from. Really, is a sort of a succession of of uh, academic experiences, I suppose. Thank you, um, and I'm uh, really interested in what you said about the topical aspect. You know how um, your work kind of interacts with conversations at the time around same-sex marriage and parenting in France. Um, so from that, I wanted to segue maybe about the status of uh, the LGBTQ plus community in France. Uh, at the time you uh, wrote your book, how were uh, rights, LGBT rights conceived differently in the French context versus maybe the UK or US context? Um, and how does that play into your analysis, you know, the particularity of the French um, situation? Sure. Um... I think I think there are sort of two main differences, really, um, as I see it, between um, the way in which LGBT rights are conceived in France compared with the way that they're conceived in um, in English-speaking countries. Um, and I would say that the first one really revolves in France. There is um, more uh, more of a universalist conception of LGBT rights, um, and we see this quite plainly at a, at a very basic level in what what the French call same-sex marriage. So whereas whereas in English-speaking countries, we tend to refer to, we tend to talk about same-sex marriage or gay marriage. Um, in, in the French context, it's mariage pour tous, so marriage for all. Um, so there's much more of a universalist conception of, of, of gay rights there, of LGBT rights there. Um, and I think as well, what marks the French context as quite unique is that, as I said a moment ago, the debate on same-sex marriage in France is often really a disguise for a debate about same-sex families. Whereas I think um, I may be generalizing a little bit here, but debates about same-sex marriage in the US are about the kind of the sanctity of marriage, um, perhaps because of, uh, of, of religious reasons. Um, 
in France where religion officially at least has no political weight um you know french um opponents of of same sex marriage had to resort to to other arguments i suppose um and and one of those arguments was that if we legalize same sex marriage or give recognition to same sex unions um there will be a sort of domino effect and we will have to give um, recognition to same-sex families, which of course turned out to be true, but I would argue that's not a bad thing. Um, so, um, you know, the first example of, of of a debate on same-sex marriage being a disguise for a debate on same-sex families was the legalization of civil partnerships in France, which was in 1999, and civil partnerships granted um, pretty much all of the same rights to civil partners as for for married couples, but with the crucial difference that civil partners were not allowed to adopt children. Um, Whereas in Britain, for instance, um, same-sex adoption actually preceded the legalization of civil partnerships, I believe. Um, Similarly, same-sex marriage and same-sex adoption were legalized at the same time in France. Um, And there was also a debate about, you know, sort of reproductive technologies and who should have access to those reproductive technologies. So um, in, in, as far as I'm aware, in in English speaking countries, there has never been a restriction on um, who could access um, reproductive technologies, whereas in France, until 2019, reproductive technologies were only open to heterosexual couples. Um, so, so you know, a lot of the a lot of the restrictions that were placed on same-sex unions or the rights of same-sex couples were about preventing, in some ways, um, same-sex families. Um, and the text that I study in the book interact with that um, with that context. Um, most of the texts that I study were published between the creation of the civil of civil partnerships in 1999 and the legalization of same-sex marriage in 2013. And so what you see in the text, for example, is you know um, portrayals that express the limitations of civil partnerships. Um, so so the texts are very much engaging with that political debate. Thank you. Um, definitely I find a more secular um, interpretation of a same-sex marriage in France very interesting. As you say, there's uh, also a concern for parenting, right, that we don't see as much in uh, Anglophone countries or that we see, but like in, in different ways. Um, I mean, I know the situation right now is um, getting interesting discourse-wise. Uh, but uh, from that, uh, since you mentioned your text, uh, and I'm sorry that I skipped this question earlier. I just thought uh, the context would help. Um, Not a problem. I just uh, wanted to ask you about the selections uh, of the text you study, because I noticed that you uh, incorporate very diverse uh, genres, right? So you have an autobiography, you have a 
um, you know, literary oriented texts or maybe novels that uh, are enjoyed by a more highbrow type of audience. And then there's also popular literature with a very straightforward narrative that everybody can enjoy. There's nonfiction, there's fiction. Um, so I was really, uh, I really appreciated, you know, the, um, the analysis of these forms that maybe are not as present in uh, studies of French literature. But I was also wondering how you uh, stumble upon them, you know, like how, what was it like to like um, encounter these texts? That's a really excellent question. And the um, the answer really is that it was quite tricky. <laughs> so I suppose this is one of the challenges of working with a corpus that is relatively unknown. Um, and, and also a, a, a body of literature that, that, that isn't very big. Um, there are, simply put, there are not that many representations um, of, of lesbian parenting um, or indeed same-sex parenting more broadly um, in, in French literature. Um, so I suppose that's one of the challenges, you know, if, if, you're, if you're working on, you know, Simone de Beauvoir, for example, all you need to do is Google Simone de Beauvoir and you will find a Wikipedia page that has the entire list, a list of her, of all of her works when you're working on a topic that's kind of less, um, uh, that, that, that is less, is less studied. Um, it takes quite a long time. So I, it took me a long time to gather the corpus actually. Um, I gathered some from secondary reading that I did. Um, and I also did a lot of, you know, good old fashioned Googling. Um, um, and I think um, once you stumble across one text and you buy it, um, you then get a recommendation from Amazon um, because Amazon will recommend similar texts because um, obviously they want to boost their sales. Um, so. And I, I'm pretty sure I found at least one text that way. Um, and but there's, there's a risk with working with um, with such a corpus uh, with a, with a body of literature that's not very big because the, the it's it's difficult to guarantee that you're not missing something. Um, and of course I did um, because you know in the sort of third year of my PhD I discovered another text that actually probably would have been would have been a better fit than some of the, the the other texts that I'd chosen, but it was kind of a little bit too late in the day to to include that. Um, so the 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 inclusion of so many different genres in the book was, to be perfectly honest, completely accidental, um, and and brought about really by necessity rather than. Um, through a kind of strategic or, or scholarly choice, um, but I, uh, on on reflection, I'm I'm quite glad um, that that the book contains so many different genres, um, and I actually think that that's a strength of the book, um, if I if I may say so, um, because I think it illustrates the the range of literary forms that writers use to talk about 
same-sex parenting. And ultimately, the book is about representation. Um, so it makes sense, in a way, to have different genres um, because it's different modes of representation. Yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, the selections offer uh, just a wider uh, range of representations. Um, and then um, I also wanted to uh, jump from that to the because we were talking about how, uh, you know, getting to know the representations of lesbian mothering in a, a literary text is a work in progress. So there was a risk of missing some texts when you were searching for them or how it's uh, maybe, uh, you know, not as simple as finding sources on the more canonical authors, right? Um I wanted to ask you about also the theory part of that. Um, so not just uh, criticism about, um, you know, novels and authors, but also like uh, finding, um, you know, theory that uh, converses about lesbian mothering because you in your book, you mentioned that lesbian identity and mothering are sometimes seen as odds with each other. So I was wondering if you could just uh, expand a little bit on that, you know, how... Um, what the theory side of uh, your research uh, looks like. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's a wonderful book by um, Shelley Park. That's Shelley with an E for, for, for your listeners who may want to look into this. Um, there's this wonderful book by Shelley Park called Mothering Queerly, Queering Mothering. Um, and um, I, I'm not quoting directly because I can't remember, but the basic premise of the book is that to to the extent that mothers are breeders, for want of a better term, um, and breeders are the exact opposite of queer, then the notion of lesbian mothering is somehow makes no sense basically um and we we very much see this idea represented in the works of literature that i study in the book particularly in the earlier texts where where we see lesbian women sort of um, temporarily renouncing their or, or giving up their their lesbianism in order to in order to focus on mothering there's this idea that um, lesbianism and mothering are irreconcilable and actually the, the texts revolve to some extent around or to a large extent around that dilemma um, um, so yeah, I think there is a traditional kind of view that mothering and lesbianism don't really go hand in hand. And what, what, what's interesting as well is that some of the sociological literature, um, on, on, on lesbian mothering suggests that for for people, for parents who have a lesbian daughter, when when the lesbian daughter becomes 
a mother or the prospect that a lesbian daughter could become a mother can actually be a way for the the the, the lesbian daughter to sort of re-enter the fold as it were uh, and it can actually be a kind of point of reconciliation between um, between parents and and lesbian children it can also be a, a, a further point of conflict because it can be seen as an additional transgression um, but the yeah, the literature is quite sort of mixed on that I think thank you um, yeah definitely found it fascinating you know because we spoke about the opposition to same-sex marriage from the uh, you know perhaps right-wing uh, the French right wing uh, when it comes to society, but then you also have like this um, branches of queer theory that regard motherhood with suspicion because, like you said, it's kind of like normative, you know. So, so mm. to me, it's all a little bit hetero. Yes, yes, basically. <laughs> and um, I think in in some of your analysis, you found that it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes, um, you know, characters uh, think that it has to be that way, but there's definitely such a wide range uh, of outcomes, um, I think. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, yes. Um, so one particular case that I found really interesting was the author, uh, Hélène de Montferrand. So uh, you talk about her uh, as a unique blend of uh, tradition and transgression, right? Because um, there's a representation of lesbian characters with depth, or um, maybe I should say rather... Uh, characters attracted to the same sex. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily identify as lesbian, but um, so there, so, you know, there are representations with depth of a same sex attraction. Uh, At the same time, however, the novels uh, by Hélène de Montferrand seem to evoke um, maybe what we think of as classics of French literature, you know, like the epistolary novel of a, Rousseau or Laclos. Um, so um, I was just wondering if you could uh, talk to us about this um, tension in Hélène de Montferrand about the, you know, that uh, impulse to make literature that seems traditionally informed, but that in content is talking about something new or offering something new um, in terms of representations of a, uh, um, lesbians. Yes. Hmm. Um, so, I suppose I should say at the outset that Montferrand's uh, Montferrand's Les Amis de Louise is is remains my favourite of the text that I study in the book. And so, what I make of that blend of um, of of tradition and transgression is probably going to be somewhat skewed by <laughs> by my own uh, by my own position of the, the novel more broadly but I I would say that that blend is central to Montferrand's literary project in that what the novels seem to do is to create a space for lesbianism within the mainstream. And now there are problems with that um, in that 
you know, one could argue, you know, why, why should LGBT people, um, why would a space within a mainstream that has traditionally marginalized LGBT people be desirable? Um, but I, but I, I think that that's, I think that Montferrand is sort of laying claim to a literary tradition that doesn't really, quote unquote, belong to LGBT people. And if we were to apply that to society more broadly, um, then I, I think we would have a pretty good starting point for a definition of inclusivity, um, at, at least to my mind. Um, that's not to say that I don't recognise that there are problems with that. Um, I mean, it's 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 interesting that um, Montferrand's characters are all um, very well off. They're all aristocrats, basically. Um, and in their politics, they're all quite right-wing. Um, and, and the main character, Eloise, in at one point in the, the, the first the first novel in the trilogy um, claims that she's not a feminist because feminism is too left wing, basically. Um, so there are there are issues with 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 that, and you 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 wonder if um, LGBT people from less privileged backgrounds can you know create a space for themselves within the mainstream. Um, but I think that as a concept, it's, it's something to, it's something to aspire to in, in a way. Um, and what, what is interesting about Montferrand's novels is that lesbianism is not really, is not really problematic. Um, you know, the characters are most definitely they don't necessarily come out publicly, but they are out to those who matter to them. And they are very much, um, and, and, and that is portrayed as what's being important in some way. I think that's really um, refreshing and also empowering, you know, that like uh, um, same-sex attraction itself is not, uh, you know, problematic. Um, also, the fact that like she doesn't perform a version of motherhood, you know, that uh, is what is demanded maybe of a same-sex parents. Um, and um, oh, yes, sorry. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the the, the main um, the main character, Eloise, she's not um, she's not a doting mother. She's not represented as a doting mother by any means and in some ways i think i um in some ways i think my own ironically uh, as, as somebody writing um a book about non 
normative versions of parenting. I am influenced by normative ideas about motherhood in my analysis of that, um, because I'm sort of reflecting on this the other day as I was preparing for this interview. And I, I think in some ways I inadvertently um, defend the, the, the main character against charges of, or what, what you might, you might see as charges of sort of, um, quote unquote, bad mothering. Um, and in some ways I, I, I no longer really agree with, with that because actually she, I, I, I defend, I'm defending a character who doesn't really want to be defended. Um, she, she, um, she, she's sort of quite open about the fact that she doesn't think that she's uh, a, a great mother, and in some ways, that that's the kind of power of the representation in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, it just goes to show that uh, when it comes to something like lesbian mothering, there's not one type, right? And that's something that you discussed. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's uh, actually a section in your book, right, where you talk about planned lesbian families, uh, for example. Um, so I was just wondering about the variations of uh, lesbian mothering that you found in your research and maybe what they say about, um, you know, French society at large um, or just any any trends that you notice in regards to, to what... Uh, um, lesbian mothering looks like in literature? I mean, so you mentioned earlier that there was a huge range of genres um, that, that I study. There are also a huge range of family types that I would broadly categorize as as lesbian families. But there's a huge range among them is huge variations. So there are several what you might call ex-heterosexual um, lesbian families, which is a bit of an odd term, really, uh, but it's quite a neat way of saying um, lesbian families where the mother um, has children in a same, sorry, in a in a heterosexual union in a heterosexual relationship. Um, before coming out as, as a lesbian. And so they're sort of accidental lesbian families, um, as it were. Um, and then there's also the planned lesbian families, as you talk about, which is where, you know, a lesbian couple, they get together and they decide to parent as a lesbian couple from the beginning. Um, and within that, you've got sort of two-parent lesbian families, so lesbian families that decide to, um, you know, uh, who decide that the the biological sorry that the 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 role of the father um, or the role of the male I suppose in that is purely kind of biological and that the 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 genetic father will play no role in um, bringing up the children um, but then you've also got planned lesbian families that are multi-parent so you have uh, a lesbian couple who decide to parent together with um, with a, a gay man or even a gay couple. Um, and one of the texts that I study 
portrays a, a multi-parent family um and the the the, the lesbian couple and the gay couple when they are uh, i think whilst the, the the main character is pregnant um they they decide to buy together a, a sort of disused printing shop i believe and they convert this disused printing shop into um separate apartments so that the couples can live kind of separate lives but the the child can kind of move between the two apartments very very easily um and i just when i read that i i thought that was a very that was testament to a very sort of the the, the very creative ways in which you can do family um as it as it as it were. So there's no sort of essentialist notion of what the lesbian family is. There are huge, there's huge variation within a kind of an umbrella term um, of, of lesbian families. And I think it's interesting as well that these texts, as I said earlier, were published between the creation of civil partnerships and the legalization of same-sex marriage. And so they were actually, they were portraying uh, these non-normative, non-traditional family forms before there really was an established legal framework for same-sex parenting. And so, um, you know, the the literature is not just, um, I, I think we use the term I think we used the word interacting earlier. It's not just that literature is interacting with social changes. It's not just reflecting the social change. It's actually anticipating the social change. It is reimagining the family, hence the title of the book. Oh, yes, that's uh, fascinating. And I think it also speaks to a connection maybe between... Um... Uh, queerness and, as you mentioned, creativity and having to like adapt to the situations at hand, right? Um, mm, that's an excellent point. I've not even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, you know fascinating how when maybe these normative options are not available, uh, people just conceive uh, of different ways of socializing, including um, in the context of the family. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Yes. And from there, I was going to ask you, um, you know, since we're talking about this creativity and different uh, types of families in the text you study, um, I was wondering how these texts position themselves um, in, you know, in the debates around same-sex marriage and uh, same-sex parenting. Um, I know that some texts maybe are more implicit in this regard, or maybe this is uh, the way that they're not interested in um, speaking about like in an explicit manner, and some of them do. Um, So I was just wondering if, um, you know, if there seem to be patterns or if there's a consensus uh, in regards to the um, tradition versus assimilation uh, aspect that we touched on earlier. And sorry, that was a really long question. Uh, yes, it was. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Apologies. Um, I I, I will 
I will do my best to to answer that. Um, I think there are there, there is I would say that there is across the texts um, a, a consensus that more legal protection was required for same-sex families, which at the time, at the time of publication, they didn't have. Um, now, of course, there's, there's, you know, more legislation that, that kind of, you know, um, fulfills that requirement in many ways. Um, but I think there is certainly a consensus about that. So we, as I said earlier, we do most definitely see the limitations of the the civil partnerships law um so one of the texts for instance recalls the fact is one of the autobiographical texts um recalls the fact that uh, the, the author's daughter was distressed at not being able to use her non-biological mother's surname for example because there was no kind of legal precedent for that um in one of the other texts, there's, in one of the novels, there is, um, because, as I said earlier, uh, until 2019, uh, lesbian couples did not have access to fertility treatment in France. Um, the, 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 the characters in the novel are, are kind of forced to do this slightly more creatively, shall we say, uh, and they employ what you know, in, in the novel is referred to as the, the, the syringe and yogurt pot method. Um, so I, I won't paint too much of a picture for your uh, for your listeners, but I'm sure they'll get the idea. Um, you know, so uh, I think there is consensus in the novels about the need for greater, greater legal protection as to whether they would then as to whether they would then say that they aspire to be to be normal or or perceived to be normal there's perhaps a little bit more of a debate there um certainly some of the characters are much more opposed to kind of identity politics um, than than others. Um, others don't necessarily aspire to be to be normal. Um, I think that in many ways the claim to normality, or the claim to yeah, the claim to normality is in some ways a strategic way of of acquiring more legal rights rather than um, rather than about saying, look, our families really are no different from, uh, you know, those of heterosexual couples. Um, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that the texts say go that far. I definitely think that, um, you know, the way, uh, rhetoric is deployed, you know, by the text is interesting. Like you said, the um, appeal to normality fulfills a very specific function in political debates. Um, 
I wonder how, uh, what in the future, um, you know, um, texts about lesbian mothering would look like as society continues to evolve. Uh, but that's just a, a thought that I had, a fleeting thought. Um, I mean, I, I can I can have a sort of stab at answering that. Um, so, one of the things that stood out for me um, is that all of these texts, um, well, certainly the texts about planned lesbian families, not so much the texts about uh, sort of the accidental lesbian family that I talked about earlier, but the planned lesbian families, um, even by the end of the novels or even by the end of the texts, the, the kids are still fairly young. Um, and so actually in many ways, the 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 texts centre on the, the sort of steps that are taken towards creating a lesbian family rather than on, you know, kids growing up in lesbian families. So I think what we might see in in years to come um, are more texts written from the perspective of lesbian parented or, or same-sex parented children. Um, I wonder as well if we might see more texts about gay male parenting or bisexual parenting or transgender parenting because um, I found very, very few examples of, well, I didn't find any examples of trans parenting. Um, whether there are some now, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, I certainly didn't find too many about uh, gay male parenting, so I'm optimistic. Well, don't know if I'm optimistic, but uh, <laughs> there is the possibility that there will be more um, texts about um, focusing on uh, a greater range of LGBT people, let's, let's say. Um, I wonder as well if we might have you know, representations um, of, of, of same-sex parent families um, where the characters are, uh, are, are not white. Um, mm, yes. Um, as well, or um, not as wealthy. Because um, obviously, in, in, you know, if you go down the road, if you're going down the road of fertility treatment, um, there's obviously a financial implication for that, or at least there was at the time in France, because it often meant traveling to Belgium or Spain because they couldn't, lesbian couples couldn't access uh, reproductive technologies in France until fairly recently. Um, so I, I think there's plenty of scope for that body of literature to evolve um, and and. I mean, you know, and also, as I said earlier, it's not a particularly big body of literature. So, you know, there's obviously the scope for it to become bigger as well. Yes, I think it's going to be definitely fascinating to see all this uh, future text, you know, the possibilities for uh, other um, intersections, maybe, you know, uh, as you mentioned, the economic dimension, as well as uh, race and ethnicity. Um, all these things are debates that uh, are very much active in France, 
Um, so I'm hoping, uh, you know, that in the future we will see uh, those uh, representations in the literature. Um, I just had a, a, a last question for you um, about your uh, positionality uh, in regards to your research, right? Because uh, we had a conversation earlier and you said that, uh, um, you know, when you explain your research to others, um, maybe they try to understand uh, why you chose this topic. Um, so I was just wondering if you had any comments about your uh, position as a researcher uh, in regards to the topic of uh, lesbian mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for the thank you for the question because um, it's it's something that I don't address in the book, and I wonder if, on reflection, I perhaps should have. Um, because, a, a, as you said, I've I've often felt that when I'm asked about my research topic. I mean, it's perfectly reasonable to ask a researcher why they work on the topic that they do. That's a, that's a perfectly normal question in conversation. Uh, but I've always felt that in my case, the question was ever so slightly charged. Um, um, it was a slightly loaded question. Um, and I think, as I said earlier, there is a there is a story behind why I arrived at the topic that I arrived at. Um, and when I explain that, people usually understand. Um, the, 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 the response is usually something along the lines of, oh, that makes sense. Um, but I do think that in some ways I perhaps needed to acknowledge the um the fact that i'm writing this book as uh as a gay man rather than as a uh, as a woman um but i also think that on on, <laughs> on the other hand i think if i were I have no basis for this. Uh, this is purely, you know, an opinion. Um, but I do. I I wonder if the, the the slightly charged way in which which I've been asked that question previously would would not be the case if I were a woman, even if I were a straight woman. Um, I think it's the fact that I'm a man um, that 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 causes that question to be charged, um, and the fact that I'm a gay man and therefore have certain solidarity with lesbian women that straight women don't have because they're straight in a heterosexual society, right? Suggests that I don't know. To me, there seems to be a bit of a hierarchy of different axes or dimensions of identity whereby gender is kind of seen as primary and and sexuality is seen as secondary um and i wonder about the legitimacy of that i wonder about where that comes from 
Um, I don't have an answer. Um, I just, uh, it's more of a question, really. Um, but I, the, the other side to it as well is that I'm, I'm not sort of making any claims about in, in, the, in the novel about what it is, what it means to be um, a lesbian parent. I'm really writing about what I'm, I'm doing literary criticism. Um, and so it's a slightly, it's slightly separate from the actual lived experience of, of it. Um, that said, I do wonder if, you know, in conversations now that we have um, about unconscious bias, um, I, I wonder if there perhaps could have been a section in the introduction where I talk oh, about my sorry, own positionality. Robert, um in You're relation to the topic, me? because it is an important philosophical question, I Can think, you when me? you are writing about a topic that is essentially ethical, which, or, or political, which, which this one most definitely is. Um, I think it is an important philosophical question about your own kind of positionality and view um, on, on the issues that you're writing about. So it might have been good for me to acknowledge that on reflection. I think uh, sometimes maybe in academic monographs, you know, we're encouraged um, to distance ourselves from our subjects of study, uh, maybe less so now, uh, but I feel like, uh, you know, that's just uh, something that I've been taught for a while, like try avoid using I or like engaging in a personal way with the, with the research. Um, so I think that might be also uh, another element uh, to that. Mm, yeah, quite possibly. Although I use I throughout my book. <laughs> uh, because it is me, at the end of the day, I am the one doing the research. So <laughs> Definitely, uh, the, um, you know, the comment you made about gender and sexuality, uh, it's really interesting, you know, just who do we sense is a reliable um, narrator, in a sense, even though it's not a work of fiction. Um, you know, all these uh, inherent assumptions we make about the author of a work. Mm. Well, it's, it's ultimately it's about who has authority yes, yes. to speak on a subject, doesn't it? Isn't it? And whilst, whilst, whilst I do think it's important to acknowledge, you know, thing, things such as things like unconscious bias, um, and the the way that can influence, um, you know, a researcher's objectivity, or compromise an ob a researcher's objectivity. Um, I do think as well that it's slightly regressive in some way to suggest that, or, or to limit ourselves to only working on subjects that we can personally identify with. Because from, from the point of view of, of promoting kind of uh, acceptance, equality, inclusion, whichever, whichever term you, you want to use, you're never gonna get you're never gonna get that if you've only got a people 
people who belong to certain categories on board. You really need buy-in from from a much broader range of of, of, of people. Um, you know, feminism cannot succeed without some some help from men, right? Because fifty percent of the population is male, so you're never going to have a, 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 an equal society if only fifty percent of the people are are are, uh, are are on board with it. And likewise, with 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 LGBT uh, with 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 LGBTQ rights. Um, if the majority of the population is heterosexual and cisgender, uh, you know, you, you've got to have some buy-in from them. <laughs> Otherwise, you're never going to get anywhere. So I don't think we can really limit ourselves um, in, in, in that way. I uh, definitely agree. Um, you know, it's all about um, solidarity. And I'm um, also avoiding falling in, uh, falling into essentialist thinking patterns, right? Like, um, mm, absolutely, you know, um, just because you're a man doesn't mean that you shouldn't um, study uh, literature by women. Um, well, um, thank you so much, uh, you know, for uh, agreeing to this interview. I think uh, um, I learned a lot uh, reading your book. I'm really grateful. <laughs> Oh well, me too. Thank you. I, I was extremely flattered to be uh, to be invited. Um, very surprised, um, and, and I really appreciate the the opportunity to talk about my to my my book with you. And I'm I'm very pleased that I'm very pleased that someone has read it <laughs> as well. Apart from you know, apart from my mum. <laughs> no, everybody should should read uh, you know this book. Um, well, <laughs> well, thank you. Well, thank you very much, Salvador. I really, uh, really appreciate it. Thank you.